Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Each year polling company Ipsos MRBI produces a report called the Veracity Index in Ireland. It's basically a measure of who the Irish public trusts most. Now as you might expect, healthcare workers and teachers often top the poll. But what some find surprising is that meteorologists, or in lay terms weather forecasters, are always up there as well as the most trusted people in Ireland. Now when you think about it, it's not really any surprise though, is it? Irish people have an obsession with the weather. It's almost like a religion. Visitors to Ireland are often taken aback and bored by our ability to have near-endless conversations about the weather. Our thirst for information on this front seems insatiable. Every night, 400,000 people tune in to watch weather forecasts on RTE, a figure that doesn't include people watching the weather on other stations or the growing number who use online apps and websites. Now, in this podcast, I want to explore Ireland's fascination with the weather. How do we go from looking up at the sky and hoping for the best to being able to predict the weather 10 days into the future? Now, in short, it's a story of scientists, supercomputers, war, natural disaster and lots of other things that you've probably never thought about when you think of the weather. But full disclosure in all this, when it comes to science and science-related history, I'm way out of my depth. So recently, I visited the headquarters of Metairn, Ireland's meteorological service, to meet two meteorologists, Evelyn Cusick and Noah Fitzpatrick. Many of you will undoubtedly recognise Evelyn. Here she is introducing herself. I'm Evelyn Cusack. I'm head of the forecasting division in Metairn. I've been working in Metairn since 1982. I joined after uh, being in UCD for a couple of years studying physics. So um, forecasting is in my blood now since 1982. And if you listen to Metairn's podcast, you'll know Noel. My name is Noel Fitzpatrick. I work in Metairn in our research division. I also present our podcast that comes out once a month. And working in Metairn, I look at how we can use satellite data better for weather forecasting. And I'm also looking at the modernisation of the weather stations at our airports. Finally, if you're new to the show, my name is Finn DeWire and this is the Irish History Podcast. 
Now, before we get into the history of the weather and weather forecasting, I just want to explain a little bit about where the interview took place. That's Metairn's headquarters. It's probably one of the most unusual and recognisable buildings in Dublin. Located in Glasnevin, it's shaped like a truncated pyramid, basically a pyramid missing the top third. Now, there's a good reason for this, which we'll get to later in the episode. But to start, we went back deep into our history. I asked Noel about the earliest evidence of humans trying to understand the weather. Now, this goes way further back than you might imagine. There's evidence of descriptions of seasons and cloud in old Indian texts from 3000 BC. We've got inscriptions of weather reports in hieroglyphics from Egypt. And that's all absorbing weather information. And then, I guess, the first sort of attempts to forecast the weather came from those observations. Not necessarily understanding what was happening, but more sort of pattern recognition, I guess, by seeing the same things over again. For example, certain cloud types producing certain types of weather or things like seeing halos around the the sun or the moon as an indicator of perhaps weather systems approaching, things like that. So whereas there may not have been the understanding behind it, there would have been pattern recognition. In terms of sort of formal attempts to understand the weather that came about in in Greece, I guess, uh, probably the most most famous example is um, Aristotle. He wrote Meteorology, that was the name of the text, and that was the first sort of attempt to really uh, describe different weather processes that take place. It's where we got the first description of the water cycle, like how the water evaporates and condenses into cloud and falls as rain and then makes its way back to the sea. And the first description we see of that is, is, in, uh, is in that text by, by Aristotle. So I think it's, it's fair to say that meteorology has been uh, a present component for thousands of years. Evelyn then explained how wine-producing regions in France have records that stretch back over a thousand years. Well, in the Burgundy region, they have records going back for the grape picking. So that's going back to 800 or something. Now, while Evelyn and Noel were explaining some of the earliest weather records, Newgrange popped into my head. This is a 5,000-year-old megalithic tomb aligned with the winter solstice. I wondered, was this evidence of an early interest in the weather? It's definitely a sign of good observation. Uh, we, we actually did a, we did a podcast on this in, on the Matt Aaron podcast quite recently, looking at some of the alignment of, of Irish tombs and structures. And rather than it being a sign that there was an understanding for how the, say, the sun and the stars moved, it was more so that they had good observation skills they're in the same location year after year. And then they use some of these structures as ways of tracking these changes. Uh, because obviously when you're that connected to the land as they would have been for farming and hunting, etc., that it was very important to know uh, how, the, how the year was changing and how the seasons were unfolding. I've linked to that episode that Noel mentioned in the show notes. Now, as Evelyn and Noel were talking about the ancient past, I did wonder, though, can this really be called meteorology? When I think of meteorology or weather forecasting, I immediately go to science, satellites and things like that. I think it is meteorology in terms of, if you look at meteorology as being a number of different things. There's observing the weather, there's then actually measuring the weather with sensors and instruments and things like that. There's predicting the weather, forecasting, and then trying to understand how it all actually comes together. Okay, so based on this, we can say that in our ancient past, people were clearly observing the weather. They didn't really understand what was happening, but they were laying a foundation, I guess. It would be the 17th century before modern meteorology would start to emerge. Central to this was one of the most famous Irish scientists. 
Robert Boyle, the son of an Elizabethan settler who had come to Ireland in the 1580s, would play a leading role in developing modern forecasting. His most famous contribution has his name, so it's Boyle's Law, and it essentially uh, states that if you have a fixed amount of a gas, a fixed mass of a gas, that its uh, pressure and volume are inversely proportional. So in other words, that if you uh, reduce the volume that that gas is in, its pressure will increase, um, and that's at a fixed temperature. So that's really important for meteorology because it helps uh, in understanding the structure of our atmosphere. For example, why the pressure decreases as you go up. So if you've ever taken a flight in a plane, you know your ears pop, and that's because the pressure changes as you go up into the atmosphere. Um, so it's a really fundamental law, um, and has really helped us understand how our atmosphere works. While we're still pretty far away from the app on your phone telling you what the weather is going to be like next week, it was definitely the beginning, or certainly I could see the start of forecasting in these conversations. From Robert Boyle, we went on to discuss other key Irish people, a Sligo man called George Stokes, and then Evelyn brought up John Tyndall. His discoveries are actually becoming more relevant than ever. As Evelyn now explains, they underpin our understanding of the atmosphere. 150 years later, this is key to understanding climate change. John Tyndall was another very famous, um, the most famous physicist that nobody's heard of in Ireland, actually. He was internationally famous and he was born in Lachlan Bridge That's right. in yeah. County Carlow. So he went to local school until he was 18. And I think at that, at that time, he probably turned into a, a junior master. I mm. think that's how they, they did it and then went to work. But... Um, he was the first really to experimentally prove the now famous greenhouse gases uh, in, in the atmosphere that actually were heat-trapping gases. And, you know, to this day now, we're, we're grappling with the effect, if you like, of John Tyndall's greenhouse gases and the very recent uh, heat wave across Europe is explained um, by John Tyndall and his colleagues. Yeah, I think that's a really important point that, as Evan says, that was he was the first to to experimentally show carbon dioxide in the air leads to an absorption of heat. And so we have that information for at least 160 years. That was like 1860 or something. So we've known that for that length of time. So next we're going to talk about how war, natural disasters and aviation would drive a desire to develop weather forecasting as we know it today. But first, I want to bring you up to speed with some news that will interest you. In the last episode, I mentioned an upcoming supporters trip to Conway in Wales. Now, Conway is a pretty special place. It's a stunning medieval castle built over 700 years ago. It towers over this beautiful medieval village, complete with walls. It's one of my favourite historic locations in the world. Now, the plan at the moment is that we would leave Dublin on a Saturday, get the ferry to Hollyhead in Wales, and then catch a train to Conway. All in, we should be travelling about three, three and a half hours and not have the stresses of an airport. We're going to stay in Conway that night and then return on the Sunday. It's going to be a really great event, but as I say, it is limited to supporters. Now, if you haven't subscribed on Patreon or Acast Plus, there's still time to join me on this trip. It's actually a great time to become a member because I'm also working away on an exclusive supporters-only series on the Civil War with Dr. Brian Hanley from the History Department of Trinity College Dublin. Now, Brian is an expert on the Revolutionary Era and he's some really fascinating takes on the Civil War. This series will be starting in September and, as I say, it's available to supporters only. You can get that as well as supporting the show at patreon.com forward slash irishpodcast. That's patreon.com 
patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast. I have a link to that in the show notes below. It's very easy to sign up. Now back to the podcast. As I mentioned, it was war, natural disasters and the development of aviation that would see the discoveries of people like Robert Boyle and John Tyndall take a more practical form. Evelyn explains how one particular disaster was key to this. There was a series of horrific storms around the Irish Sea coast. Um, the most famous one being the Royal Charter Storm. Um, now, that was named um, because this very famous uh, ship had come all the way from Australia. It was called the Royal Charter and it met a horrific storm there just off the coast of Anglesey. And I think about 400 people were dashed to their death and their cries were heard on the coast. They were that close. And um, Robert Fitzroy was tasked with um, doing something about trying to predict these storms, basically. Well, he was the head of, of, of the Met Office at that time, but it wouldn't have been anything. Fledgling like Met exactly. Office, yeah. <laughs> so that was the original storm naming. And that actually led directly to the set, setting up 15 high quality weather stations around Ireland and England and giving the first real-time weather information using the very fancy electric telegraph which had just been sort of set up and like Valencia Island then is a real scientific hub and uh, Met Erin of course have a long association with it and the very first weather station there the very first real-life observation came from Valencia Island in 1860 yeah Valencia Island at that stage was already established as the eastern hub of the transatlantic yeah. uh, telegraph cable. Uh, so that was one of the reasons why it was selected as, a, as one of these sites. And also because it's right on the western edge of Ireland and on the western edge of Europe. So it's seen a lot of these storms first. Now it's worth saying what's happening in the late 19th century is not actually forecasting. It's basically observing the weather and then communicating this information to places in the weather's path. Forecasting is something different that takes the information and advances it in time through modelling. In the later 19th century, we're actually still about 100 years away from what we would recognise as a weather forecast. But at that time, this is in the late 19th century, the invention of the telegraph and transatlantic cables were a game changer. For example, they could allow weather observations from the US travel to Europe far faster than the weather so people would have some sense of what was coming down the line. Or better still, observations on the west coast of Ireland could be sent eastwards through telegrams to Britain and even further afield, alerting them to what the weather would be like a day or two later. I mean, the, the first modern big change, I think, was with the transatlantic cable and transmitting weather information by Morse code. Because to tell what the weather's going to be like tomorrow, you have to know what it's like today. So there's no point in just knowing what it's like when you look out the window, because it could be completely different down the road, not, not say, 100 miles away. So I think the transatlantic cable and telegraph cables that was the internet of its day and that facilitated for the first time real-time weather information. So if you've ever watched a weather forecast you've probably heard the term weather front. If you're like me you haven't a clue what it means but you probably know it's something important. Evelyn now explains what it is and how the term comes from the western front in the first world war. You've heard the term weather front well that was Willem Bjerknes in the early 1900s um, he began to understand how the atmosphere actually works and he likened 
the weather at our latitude to um, the Western Front in the First World War. So the, unfortunately, the Western Front there was the boundary between two, the two armies. We have cold polar air trying to push down from the north and warm tropical air trying to push up from the south. And where the two meet, that clash zone, he called that a front. So that's your weather front. It's, it's like at the clash zone between these two armies. While understanding the processes that make Ireland such a wet and unpredictable place were growing in the early 20th century, obviously at the same time Ireland was in the midst of revolutionary change. By 1922, the Free State had been established and the 26 southern and western counties had left the United Kingdom. The new government began to establish its own institutions and after everything I've said about the Irish obsession with weather, you might expect that the first act would be to establish our own weather service. But it wasn't. This would actually take over a decade. But as Evelyn explains, the weather and meteorology is unaffected by political change, no matter how great it just continues. Meteorology and the science of me- the physics of meteorology, the science of meteorology relies on high quality observations. So the observations have to continue every hour on the hour. It doesn't matter who's in charge. So I guess there was a transition period. So we, you wouldn't have the British Meta office moving out on a Friday and the Irish Republic take over on the Saturday. It's just not that simple. So I guess there was a, a long scientific transition period and that led then when I suppose we were able to take off on our own. But then we still had a lot of the original meteorologists and, obs- meteorologists and observers working here anyway. There was just a change of boss, if you like, I guess. It was the same science. In the mid-1930s, what was known as the Irish Meteorological Service was established. Its primary concern was actually aviation, which would be a driver in attempts to understand the weather in the early 20th century, as Noel now explains. There was a big motive around uh, that time, around the mid-30s or so, to establish a meteorological office because uh, at the time there was a a seaport in Foynes on the Limerick coast, which was been very important for seaplanes that were making the transatlantic journey and uh, in sort of a need to have accurate weather information for these flights the the establishment of a met office was um, was created at the time because there was there was a genuine need for it particularly during those years 1935 to 1945 there was a lot of uh, flight activity uh, particularly associated with world war ii nor went on to elaborate on this aviation kind of changed our relationship with the atmosphere. For the first time, we were moving through weather systems rather than looking up at them. So it became, on a day-to-day basis, very important, not just from sort of a scientific approach of wanting to understand the weather, but actually for safety. Um, So you could understand why it was such a strong motive. And then, as as Evan mentioned earlier, I mean, uh, with the, uh, the onset of say World War II and the increase in the use of aviation during those times, the need for understanding uh, the atmosphere and the weather and how it was affecting aircraft was, uh, became very important. World War II actually saw what was probably the most important weather observation in Irish history. While the Free State had remained neutral, weather reports to the British Met Office continued from Ireland. One of these from Blacksod Bay in Mayo would be crucial in terms of executing the D-Day operations that led to the Allied invasion of... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. France. The original date for D-Day was meant to be June 5th in 1944, as I'm sure your listeners know, and there were requirements for what the weather needed to be for a smooth operation, and and that included... um, winds below force three on land and below force four on water so force three is about seven to ten knots uh force four is about uh, 11 to 15 16 knots that kind of thing um and also um little cloud cover and good visibility visibility of more than three miles so um in the lead up to d-day around june 2nd or so the americans were, were quite optimistic they thought they were going to get a high pressure system over uh, the area, and um, but the British were less uh, optimistic. In fact, they thought that uh, the weather was going to take a turn. So this is where Black Sod Lighthouse came in. Um, it's a, a lighthouse and an observation station on the west coast of Ireland, uh, on the Mayo coast near Balmullet. And it would, would have been the first observation station that would have observed weather systems coming west uh, across the Atlantic from the west. So on June 3rd at 2 a.m., uh, the, uh, the, the observer on duty, his name was Ted Sweeney, sent in his hourly uh, observation. And in it contained details of a 4-6 wind and a decreasing, a rapidly falling barometer, which means the atmospheric pressure was dropping to a sign that there's a, a, perhaps a storm or, or a, a low-pressure system approaching. So he phoned those uh, reports into London, as he always did, and he was called back twice during the night to resend the report because, um, well, he didn't know at the time, he didn't realise how much weight was being put on these uh, observations, but he assumed maybe he'd made a mistake or something like that, so he rechecked his report twice and relieved to see that he hadn't made any mistakes and sent it on. So what that report indicated when it was combined with others other observations from other locations was that there was a, a cold front lying over Ireland and it was moving towards the southeast and towards the English Channel and would likely be affecting uh, the, uh, the area of operations on the day, which was going to be June 5th. So the decision was made to uh, delay the invasion. And then a day later, around noon on June 4th, um, Ted sent another observation from Black Sod. It showed that uh, the rain and the drizzle had cleared, visibility had improved dramatically, Again, this was communicated to London, and uh, they knew that there was a, a clearance coming, so the invasion was then planned for the 6th. While the story is coming closer to the present day, it's worth saying at this point people are still not making forecasts, or at least anything we would expect from a forecast. Forecasting, as we understand it, really only took off in the last few decades. When Evelyn started in Metairn in the 1980s, forecasting was still extremely limited, as she explains. When I started Metairn forecasting, the big thing was haymaking, actually. <laughs> so that was in the 80s. But, I mean, we hadn't a clue beyond a day or two. I mean, it was almost impossible. 
But it was very frustrating for them and very frustrating for us that we couldn't really give a forecast beyond the day, really. And in the 80s, then, the ECMWF, that's the European Centre for Medium Range Weather Forecasting, was just taking off. I mean, Noel wouldn't understand that we didn't really have forecasts beyond beyond the day. So in my lifetime as a meteorologist, I mean, it's just stunning. To, you know, to, this is a history podcast, but I mean, I'm living history of how the science of meteorology has really taken off. Not because of me, of course, but during <laughs> during my lifetime. It's been truly amazing. So I'm going on from one-day predictability to now in 2022 measure and have monthly forecasts on our website. Now these forecasts, initially on radio and then on television after the establishment of Ireland's national television station, RTE, began or at least heightened the Irish obsession with the weather. Forecasting, even rudimentary as it was then, became really important, obviously to farmers and particularly fishermen. Evelyn first explains how watching the weather forecast became central to life in farming communities and embedded Metairn as an institution in rural life. But they used to religiously record it because they might have been out at mass or whatever. So it was, you know, the farmers would, would then make their decisions based on that forecast. So... I, you know, Metairn um, have been at the ploughing championships since its inception. And, you know, we're very gratified and we're also very humbled uh, by the engagement with, you know, the farmers. They're our people, you know, and they rely on us. And, you know, it's not it's I'm not just being kind of sycophantic to say, but we rely on, on talking to them and knowing what they need and to know the importance of our product. So it's not just somebody up in Dublin saying, oh, dry today, scattered showers tomorrow. It's basically trying to imagine the impacts of the actual weather on farming, on fishing. If there's going to be a series of Atlantic storms, the fishermen are, are um, in killy bags for a week. Now, it's not so much now as 20 years ago because of the huge trawlers now they can withstand a lot of you know atlantic storms and they all have their own fancy satellite and radar but they still have the meta and forecast and the CRE forecast as evelyn explained earlier forecasting did remain pretty limited into the 1980s satellites or at least the proliferation of satellites in the last few decades have been transformative satellites were definitely a big a big jump in being able to observe what the weather was doing in areas that it wasn't feasible to have traditional weather stations. Um, so it's what we call remote sensing. So it's you're, you're able to observe the weather in locations that aren't exactly where you or your instruments are located. So there are a whole series of, of different satellites in orbit around Earth that provide us with a range of different uh, information from winds to cloud cover to what temperature is, uh, stuff of the ocean like wave height, things like that, uh, even the composition of the atmosphere. And that allows not only forecasters to see what's happening at the moment, but that information can then be used for generating forecast models using computers. And I guess computers is the next big jump in, uh, in weather forecasting and in, in climate uh, modelling as well. The history of weather forecasting is changing at breakneck speed at the moment. As Noah mentioned, computers are becoming really important. Now, I'm not talking about a laptop or something like that. Some of the most powerful computers in the world are used in forecasting. We call them a high-performance computer or supercomputer, and essentially we use these uh, systems to run our weather models. Uh, Now, 
they are the size of a small room. The ones used in some of the larger centers, like the European uh, Center for Medium Range Forecasting, uh, is one of the most powerful computers in the world. And it's necessary to run all the complex numerical calculations needed to model the atmosphere. In fact, right now, a supercomputer is being installed in a disused nuclear fallout shelter in Iceland. This will be jointly operated by METAIRN in conjunction with the meteorological services of Holland, Iceland and Denmark. Now, this this, uh, supercomputer is actually going to be housed in an old Cold War bunker in Iceland. The reason being that, well, one, it's, it's, it's safe and it's protected because weather information is very important. You need it for uh, lots of civil and public safety. So it's very important that the weather uh, information keeps flowing. Um, and it was designed to protect uh, originally the Icelandic uh, power grid center. So the, the hub that they controlled their power systems from uh, in case of either man-made or natural disaster. Um, and there are multiple, say, power feeds going into the system, multiple data links. And also, you can power it using Iceland's renewable energy. So it helps keep uh, the, the carbon footprint of the project low because we're using geothermal energy, which is abundant in Iceland. And Iceland is quite a cold place, as we know. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you wouldn't site your, your computer in, in a tropical country because it would cost a lot more to keep it cool. Alongside this supercomputer in Iceland, Metairn are also starting to crowdsource information on the weather. Increasingly, people, maybe even yourself, are posting footage of storms, heavy rain, things like that on social media. And this is now being used by Metairn. So say, for example, you've had flooding in an area or you know that there's a storm coming through. You'll often see, you know, see it trending on Twitter or something like that, these reports. And there are attempts including within Metairn, to use AI and machine learning to track these reports on social media. Say, if you know uh, where the tweet came from, for example, and it may be saying, oh, heavy rain here, or whatever the particular event may be, you're getting an indicator, perhaps, of where the storm is at that present time. And it can also be used then, say, for after event, for tracking uh, what the impact was of a particular event. Um, so there are, there are steps ongoing, uh, both within Metairn and, and worldwide, to try and use, uh, social, try and use social media in, uh, in a constructive way. This is reflective of a changing approach, as Evelyn now explains there's a shift away from just forecasting towards trying to explain what the effect of that weather will be. So in the forecast office, we're moving in from predicting, you know, uh, actual rainfall values, rainfall forecast values, to what is that rainfall going to do? So trying to predict the impacts, and that's very difficult to do. But really, that's what the citizen wants to know. They don't really care if there's going to be 27.3 millimetres. Uh, they want to know, is my house going to get flooded? So that's the big development in, in the Meta and Forecast Division. Now, in the 21st century, we're obviously facing major changes in climate, which is impacting the weather. Extreme weather events are becoming more and more common. So Metairn have set up a new climate services division. And if I could quote the new head, Keith Lampkin, he says directly, our new division will enhance the translation of past and projected climate data onto usable, actionable information for the Irish citizen. Climate change is presenting a major challenge on many fronts, but as Noel explains, one of these is explaining what is a very complex process to the general public. This is also compounded by bad faith actors and conspiracy theories. I think some of it comes 
from a genuine interest but but not a full understanding of what's happening i think that's that's to be expected and and that's up to those who work in the area to 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 explain it better and to give better information particularly it's quite straightforward to understand what weather is because we experience it on a daily basis and we we, we are in it um so the, the, often a misconception is when you have, say, maybe a very strong a period of cold weather, then how can there be a warming climate, for example? It's it's been able to explain the difference between uh, between the the time ranges of these. So one way that I like to explain it is, if imagine that you're you're taking your dog for a walk on the beach, and you're walking along the beach, and your dog is zigzagging around and smelling everything, and 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 uh, and getting distracted along the way. The, the tracks that your dog leaves is a bit like the weather. It's going up and down, up and down, up and down. But the path that you're taking is the climate. It's the overall trend over time. And the weather is like the fluctuations along the way. So it's, 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 it's been able to differentiate between the two things is very important to help with understanding. I think that would uh, help reduce a lot of the misinformation that's out there. There are, as you say, there are actors out there who are actively uh, pushing the message of, of skepticism. Generally, skepticism in science is a good thing, but not when its its motives are are negative or not disclosed. But uh, for the most part, I think with more information, you do dispel a lot of a lot of the fake news. I couldn't leave Metairn without asking about the building we were in. As I mentioned at the start of the show, Metairn's headquarters is a strange truncated pyramid, which, while it might be reminiscent of an Aztec pyramid, is also somewhat futuristic at the same time. There's a good reason for this, but it's not the one you might assume. Evelyn explains why it looks the way it does. Our building here in Glasnevin, it's really quite an iconic building architecturally, but people think it's, it's, it's a truncated pyramid, that's the shape, but people think it's built like that for some um, meteorological reason. But I, I guess it is in a way because the architect was given the site and we have, we have houses on, on two sides, St David's Terrace, and seemingly... Uh, you know, you're not entitled to your view, but you're entitled to your natural light. So the reason it's said uh, uh, sloped away like that is not to block the natural light. So that's kind of very disappointing. I'd like to thank Evelyn and Noel for their time. I have links to the Metairn podcast in the show notes below. You can check that out. The address for people interested in that supporters trip to Wales and the upcoming series on the Civil War is patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast. That's patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast. Until next time, Sloan. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.